Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, welcome to the 121st edition of DF Direct Weekly, which still is our weekly show discussing the latest gaming and technology news. Uh, let's get the intros out of the way. First of all, Alex Battaglia, hello. Hey, Rich, just covered some cool stuff on the channel, RTXIO, some other stuff uh -huh. in the pipeline soon enough. Exciting yep. times. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And as usual, and looking amazing, John Linneman. <laughs> hey everyone, I am back, <laughs> and of course, I'm here to announce officially that this week's episode of Digital Foundry Weekly is Slam Dragon Week. It's Slam Dragon Week. Who's played Slam Dragon, the Dejalico fighting game classic for the original PlayStation? I got um, nothing. Nobody? All right. All right. Fine. Let's just get on with the show. You Slam okay. Dragon heathens. Come on now. <laughs> wow. Okay. Let's crack on. Uh, first news story this week, um, literally as we woke up, we discovered that uh, Sony and Insomniac Games had uh, quote unquote quote dropped a new trailer for Marvel Spider-Man 2 and indeed a second trailer that revealed a bespoke, dare I say it, uh, custom PlayStation 5 uh, console to go with the game bundle deal. Um, let's talk about the trailer first, John. Mm -hmm. uh, story trailer here. Uh, I'd say that if you want to remain unspoiled, you probably shouldn't watch it because, you know, some, some pretty major story beats mm -hmm. teased and basically revealed there. Uh, thoughts on the trailer, though? Well, first, Rich, I would like you to classify this as either literally insane or not. Where does this <laughs> fall for you? Mm, interesting. I'm not sure. It's, it's, it's got to be sort of figuratively. Ah, insane. yes. Not literally. Insane. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. I'll, I'll dash off an email to Jeff Keighley, <laughs> just so we're all clear on the classification here. But, but yeah. it does look pretty amazing, right? It's a great looking trailer. I think this is uh, what a lot of people wanted to see, again, after the gameplay trailer recently. Um, you know, it's clear that there's definitely a lot of improvements over the prior game visually, but it's still, it's still sort of following that stylistic design, right? It's an evolution of what they did with the last game. Uh, yep. But I like it. Uh, there's some character modeling. excellent animation work as always. Their motion blur stuff, the lighting, everything looks really, really nice here. Uh, and yeah, it's I'm intrigued by the storyline as well. And as you say, it does seem to be moderately spoiler heavy to a degree, but I'd actually hope that it's not in that uh, what they've shown here is basically teasing that there's going to be a lot more to it. I will mm -hmm, say, though, when absolutely. they show Venom at the end, which looks great, by the way, he's all glossy and slimy, as he should be, right? And I believe we're seeing ray traced reflections across his slimy, icky skin suit, if you will. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you can really see it. And I think uh, ray-traced Venom is something that I am happy to see in this game. I think that was a, a good choice. And it's also clear that they are showing this in the quality mode as it's yep. all 30 frames per second 4k footage with ray tracing 
Um, presumably this game will have the same types of modes that we've seen in prior Insomniac games, like the 40 frames per second mode, uh, a performance mode, hopefully a performance RT mode. In fact, it would be interesting to see if they even have a non-ray traced uh, performance mode at all, right? Like, mm -hmm. I feel like it would be almost more trouble than it's worth at this point to have a fallback for the reflections. Because, yeah. I mean, Spider-Man has that rather... Uh, I, I would say it's a fairly impressive use of cube maps to sort of that dynamically alter based on your position against the buildings, but it's still ultimately limited by the fact that it's cube maps, right? Yeah. And But they needed that because that's what you did on PlayStation 4, right? So I don't know. It'd be, it'd be cool if they just dropped that entirely and just went full RT reflections, which, as we know from the prior footage, also applies to bodies of water now, which is nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to add to that, uh, Alex? Uh, I'm actually just uh, curious about, like, um, I thought uh, uh, MJ's hair looked pretty great. Uh, that was one thing that caught my, my eye hair, a lot. Hair rendering in general looked pretty awesome. Yeah, the hair's good. Yeah. And they have the, when you do hair rendering like this, uh, it actually is a pretty fine balancing act for performance because uh, you can obviously have, like, the, the amount of strands uh, for one character close to the camera being really high, but all of a sudden they start interacting with multiple of them in one scene. For example, like MJ meeting up with Harry, meeting up with, uh, you know, Peter Parker, meeting up with Miles Morales all in one scene, and they're all using this type of hair rendering. Then you have to start dealing with, like, how do you level of detail this hair rendering further yeah, away yep. from the camera to make it actually still hit 30, let alone uh, 60. So I'm really curious to see how the final game balances that and the performance, whether they just say, oh, because, like, th this, these things tend to be agnostic of resolution about how heavy they are. Uh, so it would be interesting to see if they just drop the res really, really low in cutscenes or if they do something else. So I'm excited to see the final product here. Um Obviously, this is not a gameplay trailer, so it's hard to comment on like right. any of the gameplay graphics. Uh, but it did look, I think, uh, a good deal better than what we saw previously, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the hair rendering thing is quite interesting because obviously on the PC version of, Mar of um, Marvel Spider-Man and Mars Morales, we could actually see how heavy the hair was in like yeah. a very high preset. And uh, yeah, it basically tanked the Steam Deck, <laughs> <laughs> which was quite interesting. You had to sort of dial back hair significantly. I believe um, Nixus might have actually added a lower preset to the hair rendering just to accommodate lower end systems. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they go all out here. But this is kind of like the um, uh, the advantages of working to a fixed platform, right? You scale according to the GPU resource that's available. Uh, interesting point. So get, let's, let me uh, sort of get this one straight, John. You're suggesting that maybe there wouldn't be a non-RT mode in this? I mean, I don't know for sure, but given it that they're only sense, targeting right? PlayStation 5 initially, uh, it does kind of right? make sense that they would just say, you know what, we're going to do ray trace reflections only, and that's right. it, right? And then they then they can just not use those fallbacks all over the place and... I mean, presumably this will eventually come to the PC, of course, in which case you would want a non-ray traced option. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, I wouldn't, but for, you know, I, I, if you want it to be as scalable as possible. Well, come on, look, yeah. look, look at the, the Ratchet and Clank specs list. They they are all in on scalability there, so right. I do think there probably would be a non-RT mode. I'll be interested to see if it if it, it is in the PlayStation Five version, like mandatory. Mm -hmm. It's just ray tracing because it ultimately it would just be 
uh, dropping the standard performance mode, which is, you know, you trade higher resolution uh, for no RT. And um, I'm not sure many people are actually using that mode because the performance RT mode on both the Spider-Man games looks pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting uh, example of quality of pixels versus uh, quantity of pixels there. But uh, performance RT is where it's at. Also, it'd be interesting to see what the VRR modes are, because it looks like Insomniac basically builds upon existing work. You know, so you you re- you don't seem to lose much moving from game to game. You just gain, you know, new features and whatnot. So I'd be really interested to see what the VRR options look like. Um, but yeah, really, really interesting trailer there. Um, I'm not sure there's too much more to add to it. I mean, this just from the story side of things there was quite a big deal about the fact that um it's not uh, eddie brock in the venom suits but this trailer does seem to heavily hint who is actually in mm. the venom suit this time around yeah and uh which which leads me on to the um the trailer they did for the custom playstation 5 or rather the the bundle pack um where the trailer also <laughs> i'm hoping this is specific for this particular um trailer but the 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 console <laughs> trailer has voiceover which is kind of suggesting how they get the symbiote suit off of peter barker which is a, a bizarre way to do it but anyway yeah the uh, the trailer for the for the custom playstation 5 it's well it looks really really interesting it looks really striking but it's it's not a new model to the to the best of my knowledge that's obviously right. been that's a, the key yeah there's been a lot of conjecture about a new playstation 5 with a detachable um uh, a bd drive there's been talk of a playstation 5 slim which may be the same thing um but this i mean you can actually make out the model number on the box on the trailer uh cfi 1215a i think it is uh, but the 1200 is is the current PlayStation 5. So bearing in mind that new PlayStations generally tend to debut in bundle deals, this kind of suggests that maybe we're not going to be getting uh, a new PlayStation variant this year, which I find quite interesting. So that mm-hmm. that is a really weird, this is a weird situation to be in for them, right? Because let's, let's say they did have this lined up for some time in the next like six months. Uh, this would require them to be on the same page in terms of when they reveal this hardware change. Right. So like, Mm. I don't, I mean, revealing this trailer and this new hardware at, at Comic-Con, I don't know if that's the right place for a new PlayStation hardware model to be announced. Right. Well, if it looks typically, if it looks the same um, place, uh, Sony doesn't announce any kind of um, marketing, you know, they don't want to, Right. Uh, suggest that a new model exists that might be better than the old one. But this actually just just looked like a normal PlayStation 5. No, that's, right? what I, that's what I mean, though. It's like if they yeah. actually had one in the works, they wouldn't show this, is what I'm saying. Oh, I'm sure there's one in the works. The question is when, when it's is it going to arrive. Hit? Right, exactly, yeah. which suggests mm-hmm. that it will not arrive this fall. I think a lot of people would be pretty angry about that, rightfully so, too, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. if they dropped this model in say october and then it's like oh november here's a slim uh i don't yeah. think that, i don't think that would would sit well with people presumably <laughs> the strategy would have been launch this new slim model alongside spider-man 2 right yeah that would have been awesome right? but since that does not seem to be happening i suspect we're not going to see one this year that's i mean this, this game is going to be massive and um the concept of having a a bespoke PlayStation to go along with it, I think, is is pretty awesome. Gen- too. Gentlemen, 
So yes. Yes. I was in a Discord this morning and somebody said, guys, uh, I saw that, that I never saw, ends well. I saw this post on the forum reset era. You need to see this. And my goodness. So, you know, we, the console wars, it, it's a topic. It, it, people talk about this stuff. There's always back and forth. It, you know, it's meant to be in good fun, but <laughs> I think is th- is this is, this is console wars f- deep from the trenches. This is serious console war business here. A user by the name under the killing sun made a post. And my goodness, I, I can't tell if this is tongue in cheek or not. I hope for his sake it is, or their sake. The best, the best satis- satire, John, so, is uh, invisible. Allow me to, <laughs> allow me to read this. This is, this is where the console wars are now. Oliver, get ready to bleep. It's unbelievable. Sony has turned Spider-Man 2 into an event months before release with a console, faceplates, and marketing out the ass. We have nothing for Starfield. We got controllers and headsets, not a special edition console, not even a goddamn bundle. Not to mention that the goddamn Spider-Man 2 PS5 comes out basically around the time of Starfield's launch, a whole month and a half before the goddamn game. And now Series X isn't going to win September NPD. Do you know how f***ing embarrassing that's going to be? To lose goddamn September with Starfield, the most important Xbox game ever, because of a limited edition for a console, for a game that won't be out for a month and a half, and Xbox doesn't even have a goddamn bundle. Two steps forward, one giant step back. There it is. The all we, we have reached peak console war. I love this so much. This is this is one of the greatest posts in message board history. I don't know what you guys it is think. Good. Is it real? Is it the new Chad Warden? Nah, Chad was uh, was a bit more subversive. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like it, it, it this is kind of like a aggressive Chad Warden where it's, you know, it's it's mm, not yeah. toying with your subjects. It's like yeah. screaming out in rage. Chad Chad Warden on roids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like roided up sea wizzy. I want to see Chad Warden face off against this guy now. That <laughs> bring, bring him back, you know. It's the Spider-Man 2 versus Starfield throwdown. Uh but wow. I I think when you actually look at that situation though, I I the thing about Spider-Man 2 is it's a PS5 console exclusive right now, right? Sony is here to sell consoles. Obviously, we know now very clearly Microsoft's shifts, they have shifted away from this traditional model. They are selling their service. They're selling their games. They don't care if you play it on an Xbox or the PC or whatever, right? They just want you to play the game. And I mean, based on the the manufacturing costs that we've seen estimated for Series X, I'm sure they'd almost be better off if you just either bought the Series S maybe or if you just played it on the PC versus actually buying this thing in terms of, you know, uh, the cost to build it, I guess. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think they're just playing different games right now. And I think it was smart to go with the Starfield, the controller and the headset stuff because those are beautiful. It got people call talking about it. Uh, but it's also both of those products are applicable to all versions of Starfield as well, right? Like if you want to play on PC, no problem. You can you can get this custom Starfield controller. Heck, maybe they should have gone one step forward given that design and made a Starfield keyboard 
and mouse combo <laughs> even like pair up with like logitech or something and, and make like a starfield design uh keyboard have that cool like dial aesthetic like an analog dial for volume volume control on your keyboard why not stuff. that would look sick dude i, I would be into that mm-hmm. wow i'm still sort of uh flattened floored by that particular outrage uh it's just <laughs> astonishing I'm just going to throw a spanner in the works here. I I think this uh, custom Spider-Man console actually looks really good, but don't don't these designs kind of age somewhat? If oh, you're yeah. buying a if you're buying a console for your home and you know it's going to be sitting in your living room, you know, two years, three years from now, do you really want a Spider-Man themed well, PlayStation? Well, I mean, 5? I guess you can Sp- you can change the uh, the plates, of course. That's true. I wouldn't, uh, but this I think is for like the basement den dweller i i think this is for, for <laughs> I mean, people I that like that is, that that is a massive thing. gross generalization <laughs> it's, there, pe- right? it's people that like uh spider-man you know i like spider-man, spider-man. i'm not particularly enthralled by the concept of I, having a spider-man themed rich console. frankly i don't believe you i think you're going to get this and you're going to proudly display it next to your 8k tv in the living room you're probably mm-hmm. going to turn it sideways just so everybody that walks in can see you've got the Spider-Man 2 PS5. <laughs> Man. Uh, this may not be the uh, the venue for it, but I'm going to tell you a story about Spider-Man. Obviously, I'm a big Spider-Man fan, especially so back in the, the 90s, right? And mm-hmm. um, uh, at the time, I bought Amazing Fantasy number 15 and Amazing Spider-Man number 1 when they were still relatively affordable, right? Wow. These are the first two appearances of Spider-Man. Wow. And, uh, but then in 2006, I emigrated and I couldn't really take my comics collection with me. So um, I entrusted them to my parents. Right? Wow. And then in 2012, uh, I came back to the UK and I said, right, okay, yeah, I'd like to pick up my uh, extremely rare comics. It wasn't just those two, by the way. I had a huge array oh. of... of <laughs> do you know what happened? I know what's happening. They, yeah, they got rid of them, didn't they? They they lost them. They, wait, they just Jesus. lost them. They lost. They lost the, basically my entire Silver Age collection of comics. That's like, awful. You know, most of oh, Amazing yeah. Spider-Man number ten, one to ten. And you know what? I could have been angry. I could have been upset. But at that point, life had changed somewhat in those past six years. You know, I'd got <laughs> married, and uh, priorities had changed. And ultimately, you know, they were just like a couple of extremely valuable comics that yeah. were kind of just not there anymore. And I hadn't seen them for six years anyway. And if I'm only holding on to them as like a monetary investment, then, you know, you got to sort of start prioritizing what's important. Um, like, for instance, and- they kept the Mortal Kombat champagne. <laughs> yeah, they did. You're quite right. It was in their drinks cabinet, <laughs> and they came. And about a year after I came back to the UK, they said, "Yeah, I found this in our drinks cabinet. Don't, don't think we need it." Um, <laughs> and I think now, if you so cracked open that bottle mo- and had it so now. They- so that I'd say there were probably 20 uh, extremely valuable comics that I'd put aside. The rest I put into general storage. Mm. And I still have those, by the way. And uh, But I do have, yeah, all of those lost. You know, first Punisher, first Silver Surfer. Oh, my God. Uh, most of Amazing Spider-Man, 1 to 10. Uh, but they did keep the Mortal Kombat champagne. 
which is, as we know, priceless. Um, breaking <laughs> news, gentlemen. Yeah, I have I have counted a, a, a screenshot from that trailer of Spider-Man. When did uh, you count it? Did <laughs> well, you do it while you were regaling your story, <laughs> I was like, I want to count some photos. So I counted two. I got one at 1620, which I will okay. send to, to Oliver. It, it was pretty easy count because it's reliefed against the sky. But one were um, symbiote Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, I see it. Uh, that I dropped in our all chat. Uh, that one counts to 1440p, interestingly okay. enough. So we got uh, kind of slightly lower reses than the the initial games 4K mm. mode. I don't know. John John's the one who covered that one back in the day. Makes but sense. It makes sense if they're pushing the visuals up this time. Mm-hmm. It's all mm-hmm. about quality versus quantity of pixels. All day, every day. That's what I would always yeah. do. Yeah. Uh, do do I, let I, us know in the comments below what you were doing while I was telling you my... Uh, <laughs> My anecdote about you know letting go of material possessions. I was listening though, right? <laughs> Just multitasking. I can do it sometimes. Sometimes. Huh. Okay. So wait. Uh, let, go on. So it looks like uh, Ratchet and Clank. Looking back at my piece on this, uh, it was generally in the 30 FPS mode between 1800p to 4K, but it could drop to a minimum of 1296p. Okay. That was the absolute lowest possible resolution. In quality mode. In quality mode. So I assume mm-hmm. Spider-Man 2 here will probably have the same range. That sounds okay. reasonable. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, well, I think we could move on to the next news topic at this point. <laughs> okay, so um, not so much a news topic, more a PSA, a public service announcement. Um, this week there was the arrival of, uh, I would say, a pretty poor and these words may come back to haunt me if it actually turns out to be true, but I'm pretty sure it's not. Uh, A fake switch to Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, quote-unquote reveal, uh, leak rather, Um, box art, uh, some vendors of the console running, some bizarre (laughs) joy pads, uh, (laughs) fake um, sort of instruction manuals (laughs) and stuff. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we're going to be seeing a lot of this stuff happening. It happened with the first Switch, right? I mean, I've put in our uh, docket here a link to uh, the first uh, plausible-looking fake for the original Switch, right? Which was right. this kind of oval design. Oh, the I mean, one that the guy 3D printed. Yep. And that actually, was impressive. He, that was so cool. He actually made a real physical model and like did photo shoots with it laying on his desk. And it's like, it was very convincing as like, oh, yeah. this is a real object because it was. Yeah. <laughs> but this is kind of like not quite as impressive, but it, no, we're no. going to start seeing a bunch of these stuff, uh, of this stuff, right? And, um, well, this particular fake seems to be suggesting that it's basically a tablet with jumbo joypads. Uh, in a bizarre kind of... They've expanded the joypads for no apparent reason. I, so, Rich, I think what it is is they're trying to... Whoever made this mock-up is trying to say, hey, look, this new Switch is a much larger physical device. It has a bigger screen, right? Mm. And so now to adapt the old Joy-Con to it, you need these weird shell things. But, like, nin- Nintendo would never do that like in terms of <laughs> well i say that but they also released the frankenstick for the 3ds so i guess all bits are off well, that adapter do you remember though. that for the original yeah. 3DS? yeah it was it was incredible wasn't it it was um it, i think the sort of term is like a cludge it, <laughs> yeah it's just like a kind of 
<laughs> That's uh, a tactical so term. Really crap. And I think the fire. best thing about the Frankenstick was that it, I think it used IR <laughs> for communication, as in mm. when you set your 3DS in it, the IR <laughs> um, transmitter would be pointing directly at a receiver on the Frankenstick. Uh, shell and that's i think that's how it communicated it's kind of smart okay yeah but generally i just think you know um the, these sort of bizarre fakes they really make me laugh and uh if matrix was here he'd be laughing too <laughs> um but but um i just want to quickly talk about stuff you know um rumors that have emerged for the switch 2 which i do think have some merit right because um there is actually a trusted leaker out there called copite 7 kimmy who basically seems to possibly have some connection with uh fabrication companies in taiwan oh yeah um yeah but basically um he identified a cut down version of the latest tegra the latest tegra is um t234 he identified a nintendo specific variant called um t239 so it has um eight arm cores uh seems to have a gpu based on the nvidia ampere generation 30 series um, there's confusion as to how many cores could be 2048, could be 1536, but that would be maximums, right? Because they may disable some of the cores to, yes. to get more chips off the production line. And, um, yeah, I mean, that looks like a really, really solid upgrade. I, you know, don't go into this thinking you're going to be getting a portable Xbox Series S or anything, but, you know, I think it's it's a highly creditable upgrade and it's kind of i was thinking to myself that nintendo doesn't typically embrace new technology but by the time it appears you know ampere came out in 2020 and this would be a 2024 product so it kind of makes sense right yeah it's it actually isn't too far off what the switch did i guess because when when yeah that was 20 2015 and it came out what when uh 20 Well, John. When, when was it, John? When, when did what? that come out? The Switch? <laughs> 20, yeah. It 20, came out in like March 2017. That's 2017. What it is. Yeah, a couple of years gap then. So, yeah, the gap would actually be wider this time around. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. I mean, we've got some supporter questions about the whole Switch 2 thing. This one from Johan Van Hellemont. Hey, DF, when the first Switch launched, its unique selling point besides first-party titles, was the full console experience on the go. Now, however, given the popularity of the Steam Deck and other powerful handhelds, how do you think Nintendo will position the follow-up? Um, yeah, interesting, right? I mean, fundamentally, they can't go back on the Switch concept. We've talked about this before. It's got to be a mobile and a, and a home console, I think. Yep. The main reason beyond anything else, yes, the Switch is successful, but on top of that, this was the generation that allowed Nintendo to finally consolidate their development resources, right? Like, I think supporting portable and home consoles was extremely difficult. Like, when they first took that approach with the original Game Boy, it was less so because Game Boy games were fairly simple and basic to make. But then as the hardware started to shoot up and you get to, like, the DS and eventually 3DS era... Like creating those games required significant resources, not as much as a home console, but still quite a bit. And I think that really split Nintendo off. So Switch saved them from that and allow them to focus on a single platform. And there's no doubt in my mind they want to continue that going forward. Uh, I think they'd be more likely to stay portable only than anything else if they had to pick between the two. But I think they'll. Stick, oh yeah. I think they'll stick with the uh, the hybrid model. 
Yeah, absolutely. Looking at this, though, <clears throat> I don't think uh, Nintendo actually has to position the device in any different way than it did the previous nope. Switch based upon uh, the existence of Steam Deck and ROG uh, Ally or any of those things because those are completely non-competing devices, I would say, on average uh, because they require more setup time, more user knowledge, the existence of a PC library, Steam accounts, all these things that are much more niche than picking up a game in the store and popping in your Switch and playing it. So I don't think it is even on the same realm of com- competition. And I think that the recent CMA, everything is, every, all these regulatory agencies and everyone has come to the realization that no one is competing with Nintendo. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to see at, at that point. Cause I don't, I actually mm. thinking about that, I don't think the Switch really needs to even compete anymore with PlayStation or Xbox. They're their own thing at this point. Uh, kind of, yeah, but they're competing for time. Yeah, um, I think exactly. that's that's the, the crucial thing. And that was an interesting point that John came up with in the Microsoft um, Direct we did with Tom Warren, which is that, you know, um, Phil Spencer was talking about losing the war for the digital library, but then Switch comes along and basically beats PlayStation, you know, yeah. with that's a whole awesome. new ecosystem. So, yeah. Really interesting stuff. This question from Gatti. What are your totally outrageous takes on Switch successors gimmick? I'll start with connect like integrated camera for fitness. <laughs> Man, what sort of uh, hardware disasters have we seen? I was going to say a 3D screen, but they did it with 3DS and it was, it, it kind of was a massive sales success in the end. Yeah. <laughs> John, what kind of outrageous uh, uh, gimmick would you like to see? Maybe it'll bring back the vitality sensor idea and it'll be built into the Joy-Con. Like you can just slide it on your finger or something and, you know, finally achieve those dreams that they set out all those years ago. Right. You remember that, right? The vi- the vitality sensor? Yeah, there was going to be some sort of whole new division, whole new sort of era of gaming based around that, around that right? And but it never it, happened. Although it technically kind of did on the Nintendo 64. Do you, if you remember my Tetris video I did on DF Retro, one mm-hmm. of the versions of Tetris for N64 actually shipped with the equivalent of one of those sensors that like a heart rate monitor that you wear on your finger while you play the game. And it impacted uh, the speed of, of that game of Tetris based on That's how cool. fast your heart rate yeah. was. It was okay. so it's, well, you know, you could in theory do some kind of um, controller that measured your emotional state then. Well, I think um, Valve have been talking about this for years. Yeah, um, that's but, true. Uh, as, to, as to whether you want that or not. I would not. That's, <laughs> uh, I don't know, maybe a, a flip screen, like, you know, the Galaxy Fold. The problem, that way you'd have like a, a, a new DS. The problem yeah. being, of course, that you wouldn't be able to incorporate any of those elements into Doc's play. So I think it's a bit of a non-starter. I don't know. I think I think they could do a camera again um, <laughs> because <laughs> AR games like Pokemon AR, all these new AR things, I could imagine uh, Nintendo doing another sort of AR device where you take the Switch out in the world and find pokemon in the world or something like that or I mean, run along with mario alongside him or something like that they could do stuff like that it's just pokemon go though and that already exists yeah. on phones like it's not i don't think they would do that on the real mainline not games. a gimmick enough it's not gimmicky enough it needs no i think it's just <laughs> that would be competing on a product that already exists <laughs> so yeah maybe not um how about this question from lil ecto one howdy y'all exclamation mm-hmm. point Rich, I hold on. You, 
Go was that your no. best? Was that your best Southern accent? You really got to leave. Best you like, gonna hey, howdy, y'all. Kind of like lean into <laughs> Gosh, it a bit. John. <laughs> Do you want to read the question then, John? In, in you want your, me to read uh, it like that? Yeah. I recently ahead. viewed an MVG video detailing the potential issues in making oh, the gosh. next Switch device easily backwards compatible. <laughs> Initially, okay, I'm going to stop. That's really, that's probably annoying. Yeah. Initially, I assumed a Switch successor that lacked backwards compatibility would fall flat on its face. But then I looked around my collection and noticed a DMG Game Boy Pocket, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance SP, DSi, DSi XL, two versions of the 3DS, etc. And realized that I likely would not forfeit my Switch when its newer version arrives. I know John won't flip his OLED model on Switch 2 launch day. That is true. Are we the outliers here? Couldn't the Switch 2 be perfectly successful if it were freed of legacy support for tech launched in 2015? Or is backwards compatibility a necessity at this point? Mm, interesting question. Um, MVG did put a pretty convincing case forward that it's very difficult to do backwards compatibility because nvidia doesn't bake it into the hardware right you know they mm -hmm. move on from generation to generation yep. the question is where you know how robust is the uh is is the quote unquote bespoke api that they did um for switch and whether it's portable i mean it's vulcan compatible as well the switch so i sh should mm -hmm. imagine that the vulcan games would just work fine uh, it's all about apis right um i'm pretty sure they could do it i mean I think it might be challenging, but I do think it, I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent necessary, but I think it's more necessary than it ever was before. Because again, we've, people have shifted to these digital libraries, right? Especially. Yeah. And the competition, the just, it's commonplace to have your account and your purchases are tied to the account. Right. And because the switch was so successful versus say the Wii U, for instance, uh, I think people now would be extremely disappointed and upset if it were to launch without support for those prior games. Um, I think, again, they probably could pull it off, but it may have a very negative impact on the initial reception of the unit. You know what I mean? Like, that could hurt it, possibly. And Nintendo should not take for granted that it would be a success, I mean, we all know yeah. their checkered history with that. Sometimes they have a huge success followed by a gigantic failure. Mm -hmm. uh, as, you know, so I don't know. What, what do you guys think on that? I kind of think they need it. I think they'd be losing a lot of momentum and goodwill yeah, if, the, I, if the backwards uh, compatibility function isn't there. But I also appreciate that it's actually going to be technically quite challenging for them to do so. So, yeah, tricky, right? And I know there's been some comments from Nintendo execs that they're kind of um, a bit antsy about the, the transition period. Mm -hmm. um, if you if they had backwards compatibility, I don't see why they would be. That's the thing. But uh, I guess, you know, it's all sort of um, conjecture at the moment. Uh, just one thing I just want to bear in mind uh, to sort of factor in before we move on from this discussion point, and there's going to be a lot of fake specs. There's going to be a lot of... Um, uh, interpretations of the specs when they do arrive that might not live up to expectations, but that's what Nintendo does, right? This is going to be primarily a mobile device still. 
and battery life is something that you can disregard on a Steam Deck or a ROG ally, but you can't <laughs> on a Nintendo device. So, you know, possibly you will get um, uh, overall results similar to what the Steam Deck and the ROG ally are doing, but it's going to be through, you know, crafty programming, mm-hmm. you know, uh, coding directly to the spe- specifications of the device. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, nothing more to add on this one for now, right? I'm looking forward yep. to seeing the fakes, though. This first one was a bit disappointing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, let's move on. Okay, so um, you may not know this, but this week there was a new graphics card from NVIDIA launched. Um, it was the 16 gigabyte version of the RTX 4060 Ti. And the reason you may not be fully aware of that is because, well, there were no reviews of it. Um, oh my Nintendo didn't. Uh, Nintendo. Nvidia didn't. <laughs> it would have been fun if Nintendo had seeded review samples, <laughs> but, but they didn't, and neither did Nvidia. But that's kind of like par for the course for partner-only designs, typically. But the partners themselves didn't seem to be distributing any clouds either. And um, yeah, so, you know, cue lots of conspiracy theories. But the fact that nobody seemed to get any, you know, a sniff of this uh, card suggests that, you know, um, yeah. there was a there was a blanket ban policy in place. Alex, thoughts on this? It's not great, is it? Yeah, I would say, <clears throat> well, they they it's like riding out the wave of negativity uh, that occurred around the 4080, uh, 40, sorry, 4060 Ti launch. And then 4060 was received slightly differently than I would say the 4060 Ti was probably due to the price. Um, um, among yeah. other things uh but them i always felt like the 4060 ti partner 16 gigabyte gpu was a we recognize the critique but it's too late to do change the 4060 ti core design so we're going to allow partner cards to kind of have the additional thing it's not like what happened with the 3060 3060 was completely changed mid-development i think to be a 12 gigabyte gpu that's that's Mm -hmm. the way i imagine it was um and this this coming out without any fanfare at the price it was going to be coming out at i don't i think it's almost kind of a little bit of a doa card um because it's it's reaching into that price territory where there are probably better options including legacy options from uh team red from from amd and it's not a flattering comparison point anymore um absolutely and so i i think that makes sense that they wouldn't at all seed anything for reviews because it would just look bad at the conclusion part of the article when you start talking about price uh, performance and that's when it starts falling apart i would be really curious though to see an actual review of this or even get a hands-on with it to see exactly which like when does it actually start superseding the the eight gigabyte model because the 4060 ti is a it's not my i don't like the design of these new uh we cut back on the memory interface kind of thing and uh, because it, ha- it limits somewhat of the scalability of the card to higher resolutions that you would have not necessarily seen on something with a bigger memory interface. Um, but uh, I would be curious to see exactly, like for example, in classic cases that we know of, uh, like Hogwarts or I don't know, even like Spider-Man, Miles Morales, when you go up to the very high texture setting at, while mm. outputting at 4K, you can definitely yep. see some memory paging there. I would really like to see if this card is actually worth it for those cases. And then, 
I don't know, speculate a bit about it. But at the moment, I have seen absolutely nothing about it. I saw PC Games Hardware from Germany here did a did a fake review where they where they took a 4070, they downclocked it to 4060 Ti levels of performance, and they said this is what you're gonna get in those cases where you're limited by VRAM. Pretty funny that they did that. Obviously, it doesn't actually have any bearing on reality, but um, it just goes to show how apathetic I think even the review press is about this GPU. Yeah, I just looked on Scan, which is like a major UK uh, retailer for uh, cards, and the, it's, the cheapest one is uh, about £490. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> no. Oh yeah, and uh, the most expensive one, I think, is like 539 which is which is just... You know, totally just get a forty seventy at that point. What are you just doing? A, yeah, or use thirty eighty or something. You know. Yeah, jeez, man. There's there's problems there. I mean, the issue was always that the price bump for the extra eight gigs of memory basically forced you to do comparisons with the forty seventy, where there's a you know there's less memory but enough for now at least, assuming you're not playing Diablo 4. <laughs> and um, um, and you got like thirty percent extra performance for you know 20 odd percent more money you know it just it's it, it was the bizarrely spending more got you more i'm yeah. sure that's a, some sort of uh, paraphrasing of jensen <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah it's just it was just a really awkward product to begin with because it's not going to change the fact that it's you know not that much faster than the 3060 ti in some scenarios um i will say that most of those scenarios are not settings that you would typically actually using gaming and i think this is there's a there's a couple of major failing points for gpu reviews that i think we all need to address and i tried to do it assert to a certain extent in the 4060 review is that um why are we benching on max settings you know if you've got a value more value orientated gpu you're going to be using optimized and even if you don't there's a great uh argument for actually just using optimized on you know anything from a 4070 upwards right yeah, right or downwards rather um why aren't we benching like that and secondly why are we benching with the fastest cpu money can buy um for those particular products i think you know in terms of getting an idea of um synthetic differentials you know the card fully unleashed that's absolutely fine but you know on the mainstream uh cpu you could be CPU limited and wouldn't see any gain between a 4060 Ti and a 4070. There's so many different variables there. Uh, the 4060 Ti 16 gig, yes, we'd we'd need to be looking into like you know max settings, Spider-Man, Miles Morales, and and stuff like that. Hogwarts, yeah, although they they've improved that quite significantly. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's still well, Jedi, I guess, would be one we'd need to look at. Jedi Survivor as well. Um, I think there's something, you know, I've kind of alluded to it, but the, the current crisis on sort of CPU utilization is probably having quite an impact on GPU performance as well. Right. Uh, because, you know, not everyone has a 13900K. Um, yeah, but, you know, I think NVIDIA caught between a rock and a hard place here in that the base 4060 Ti isn't particularly good. And in most scenarios, the more expensive one will not be particularly good either, right? It's right. just going to have more memory, which will allow you to run it um, with like, you know, 4K resolution, 4K textures, but with poor performance. But at the same time, there are obviously genuine issues with 8 gigs going forward, even on, you know, mid-range um, uh, uh, PCs and whatnot. Right. 
Yeah, I, I'll tell you what, though, I am quite interested and surprised to see um, this 4060 variant that uh, popped up this week. And uh, it looks like uh, Lenovo, of all people, has created a mini ITX version of the 4060, you know, designed for small form factor builds, single fan, still, still seems to be uh, dual slot, but very short. This is actually like quite an interesting product, I think. Whoa, that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's minimalist too and it doesn't have i don't think that's a lot of rgb i don't know i haven't seen it powered up here exactly but that's the one of the things i'm always lamenting about modern gpu designs is the lack of minimalist aesthetics and things like that or just gray just just could be a great card i mean that's what the <laughs> I mean, no nvidia rgb yeah nvidia's cards are like that anyway right like the founders editions they're all very minimalist yeah. and clean designs yeah mm -hmm. they are um yeah yeah uh, it's good looking <laughs> i agree well i mean it kind of is the antithesis of what's happening in the uh, third party gpu space where um you know this is like running at a maximum of like 120 watts it doesn't need three fans and a gigantic cooler Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is kind of like how things almost used to be. I mean, back in the day, I had an 8800 GT in a little shuttle. You know, that was my main gaming PC, a shuttle, and it had an 8800 GT in it, which was, you know, close to the best you could get. Um, I know, right? Things have just got sort of bigger and bigger, and third-party cards have um, just become less and less appealing to me over that time. But this looks really, really nice. I think that's all we've really got to say about the 4060 Ti at this point. I'm not surprised that it launched with no reviews, but it's certainly not great for the consumer to not know what, you know, there might have been some really interesting use cases for this GPU. I'd be interested to know what they actually are. Right. I guess we're going to have to wait for <laughs> further reviews to crop up in due course. Um, but let's move on. Okay, so a really interesting news story that uh, cropped up this week, which is that um, obviously the mini console, the mini retro console is proven to be re really, really successful. We've had two great ones from Sega, uh, you know, the, the Genesis Mega Drive Mini, brilliant emulation on there. But it seems that um, Sega president and COO Yukio Sugino has said that the Sega Saturn is proving too difficult to adapt into a miniature console. Uh, I'd quite like a Saturn Mini, John, but it doesn't look as though it's going to happen. Yeah, you know what? I think the mini console boom is pretty much over at this point, but I do <laughs> think the Saturn is uh, would have been an interesting product to release because it's a system that a lot of people may not have really experienced, and it's really great. I think the problem here is that these the SOCs used in these systems are perhaps just a little underpowered for emulating something like a Saturn. I mean, Saturn emulation's in a pretty good spot these days, and there's even work in the FPGA side happening on Mr. with Saturn. It's cool, but given what was in, like, the Mega Drive Mini 2, I'd imagine that the issue here is just... Well, first of all, they'd probably have to do the legwork to get this stuff developed, with they, which they may not have done yet, and that's more R&D money spent, right? And on top of that, they would probably need a more expensive SOC solution to actually run this correctly, uh, which again, cost. So I am sure it's just a matter of them not wanting to to shell out for, for all of that research and development and the cost of creating this hardware. And they've just opted, nah, we're not gonna do it. I actually think doing Dreamcast might be easier than Saturn to some degree, 
Uh, it is a little more straightforward, but you'd still need a more capable system to handle it. Although, from what I understand, the SoC used in the PlayStation Mini was rather potent. Like it, that, really? that thing was terrible, but people have <laughs> kind of hacked it apart, and uh, it turns out the hardware in there is pretty good and very capable oh, wow. of emulation. Uh, I, I actually, I wonder if anybody has done saturn emulator homebrew saturn yeah, yeah okay there it is i'm actually seeing it right now saturn games on the playstation classic uh okay. if it, it runs reasonably oh. then maybe it is oh, oh not no oh. no <laughs> somebody, well somebody, that was quick somebody's showing i found a video of this of somebody playing knights on the playstation mini and the frame rate's very low so all right never mind you would probably this seems to be like playable sort oh radiant silver gun it's like 20 fps instead of six okay so maybe not so yeah the <laughs> soc necessary to make this happen would probably be more than they're willing to spend basically yeah isn't the problem basically that um just the complexity of the satin design i mean if you look at the playstation it's fairly you know simple refined gets the job done um the satin seems to be this gigantic assortment of various uh, processors which caused them problems back in the day because they couldn't cost reduce it but you've got the two sh2s in there you know the, you've got the audio chip you've got a whole bunch of stuff going on in there that you know just adds to the complexity of the design it's, fundamentally isn't this just more stuff to emulate yeah, yeah, I don't know enough about developing this sort of emulator to say for sure, but I'd imagine you probably need to be more thorough in, in how you handle the emulation in order to handle all these edge cases, right? Depending on how yeah. the games utilize the system, because you're right, two SHD CPUs has dual video display processors, which each handle very different things, all this other complex stuff in there. It's It's not a simple machine by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, mm -hmm. I do think this is technically feasible, but again, it's probably down to cost. And it's the same reason why I don't think we'll ever see the N64 Mini from Nintendo. Right. Uh, beyond the cost <clears throat> of the actual hardware and emulation necessary to power it, I think in that case, it's the controllers. The cost of building those analog controllers would be too high to make this viable. And since N64 is so well known for four-player split screen that just creates a situation where people would end up spending a ridiculous amount of money just on these new replica controllers and i i just don't think that they wanted to go down that path for that reason either they've, they've made yeah. replica controllers for switch right they have but they're sold like individually and uh and i think if you wanted four of those for an n64 <laughs> mini expensive yeah you're, you're gonna spend a lot of money on that and i'm sure they look at the market like uh i don't know if people are interested in shilling out for such a thing as lucrative as it may be if people did buy it yeah i think there's also the the perennial issue with n64 which is that you know low frame rate generally feels bad in the modern era that's right and there are a lot of low frame rate games on the nintendo oh, 64 yeah. oh yeah i mean saturn has a dramatic advantage over n64 in that regard like it is more rough for the 3D graphics, but I would say games in general on Saturn perform a lot better than N64. There's yep. a ton of 60 FPS games in there and plenty of 30 and 30-ish frames per second games as well. Just stuff that runs generally better than anything on N64. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. Um, I think that's all we've got to say about that one at the moment. Let's move on to our final news uh, topic. So this one is basically, I don't know, a kind of uh, tidying up 
um, right. a sort of uh, fact uh, correction on previous stories that had happened. Um, so essentially, um, back in the day, it was discovered that uh, the Dolphin emulator, which was scheduled to debut on Steam, wouldn't actually be arriving because, um, well, the story was that um, Nintendo had issued a DMCA takedown to stop it happening. But what had actually happened was Valve had gone to Nintendo to say, well, what do you think about this? And they said, no, 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 no. Um, so <laughs> we've got um, a massive post on the official Dolphin uh, website now, which is talking about what actually happened and whether the emulator is indeed um, on legally shaky ground. Uh, John, did you take a look at this statement? Yeah, so I guess the first takeaway for this before the technical stuff is that Nintendo did never send a DMCA request to the mm -hmm. Dolphin yeah. developers, right? They did. Mm -hmm. They were only involved in so much as Valve approached Nintendo's lawyers and basically uh inquired as to the situation and nintendo's lawyers then said that they would they requested that steam or valve not allow this on the store so no like legal threat happened so much it's just like yeah don't do this please and then that letter was sent to these developers and based on that they decided okay we should probably not move forward with this and they did make make the decision to abandon the efforts to release dolphin on steam uh, I haven't yeah. finished reading this whole thing, though, because they do get into a uh, discussion about the the Wii common key. Did you look through that, Rich? Yeah. Yeah, it seemed to be the case that there wasn't any actual legal jeopardy surrounding that whatsoever, which was our concern back right. in the day, um, that maybe they could use that to uh, undermine the established precedence of emulation. But um, <laughs> um, this post, they're talking a lot about uh, armchair legal experts and yeah. uh, it seems that it's it's not really a problem whatsoever. And as I kind of suspected at the time, you can't actually uh, copyright a, a string of of characters. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it looks as I though there wasn't any particular issue there, which is good. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, those legal precedents are in place and that's why Nintendo hasn't actually launched legal action. But I think going back to the sort of spirit of what you were saying back in the day, John, especially when, you know, we're seeing what uh, Take Two have done, you know, legal um, sort of shenanigans against mod and pe mods and people who've made mods. Right. Um, there's definitely the danger that those precedents could be challenged. And I don't yep. think that danger has kind of gone, but it's, you know, I'm just thankful Nintendo hasn't gone that extra mile and there wasn't any kind of DMC takedown. Uh, so in the, in the here and now, things are kind of, you know, status quo. Uh, any, any final words on this one? I mean, basically, the, the upshot of it is that for various reasons, but specific, specifically because Nintendo aren't on board, um, we're not going to be seeing... Um, Dolphin appearing on Steam, uh, which leads us to this question from supporter Zephyr. Hi, DFT, exclamation point. To wrap up an old story, the Dolphin team announced this week they're abandoning, abandoning their efforts to release on Steam due to how uh, this is due to Valve now requiring them to get approval from Nintendo, an impossible task for sure. They've also stated that they believe that their inclusion of the much-discussed Wii common key is covered under exemptions stated in the DMCA and thus are not going to remove it. What do you guys think about this, the idea of 
releasing emulators on storefronts in general. Is it a worthwhile pursuit or just poking the hornet's nest? I guess it's that final question that we need to to, to address. Mm. The concept of, um, I don't know, emulators kind of receiving validation and becoming sort of official releases on official storefronts. Where do you stand on that, John? Um, I, I don't really see that much value in it personally because they're easily accessible without the storefront already. But yeah, there is that risk of poking the hornet's nest. And I think the, the Rockstar 2K stuff with the modding of Grand Theft Auto kind of sets a precedent for if a corporation decides that they want something gone, they will take unexpectedly brash actions, even if legally it doesn't seem like it should hold up, right? And yeah. there's really no point in triggering someone like Nintendo to go after them for this. And it seems after the story, it's pretty much now confirmed that Nintendo is just, they they are not actually taking an issue with Dolphin itself, and it is going to be left to its own devices. They simply didn't want it on the Steam store, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you mm -hmm. don't want to push your luck with this stuff too much in, in specific cases, like dealing with Nintendo stuff, for instance. So, although, you know, RetroArch is on Steam, isn't it? That plays Nintendo games, so... I think it even ships default with Game Boy emulation as a part of RetroArch, if I recall. Uh, yeah, so like, I... So. It's a tricky thing, but ultimately, I think anybody that's doing this sort of emulation, just adding it into a digital storefront is just bringing this extra layer in that's not really that necessary. If you want to mm -hmm. play this stuff anyway... You know, it's easy enough to download, and it's not like the Steam version could have shipped, like, say, a BIOS image with it or something. <laughs> it couldn't have shipped it with actual, like, games either, right? You still have to do that legwork. Yeah. 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 I, 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 right, Alex? I, I mean, I would love to actually just see them on storefronts for the eventual totally unrealistic future where, <laughs> um, yeah, Xbox, Sony, and Nintendo say, actually, we'll sell license games over as a digital package for you to play on emulators uh because they're not touching we're not touching them anymore and maybe we could get some revenue from old games finally that we don't touch anymore i would love that but it's never reasonably could happen maybe it would happen in some future microsoft wants uh regarding their plans for game pass games pass um but i don't think any of the other develop the others are way still uh focused on hardware and individual sales of like uh licenses and things like that so um so i don't see it but that's why i would want them to come to storefronts for the legitimation and for the pre presumable hopeful you know greater proliferation of uh old games yeah, okay. I think yeah. the big disappointing thing here, thinking about emulation, is that it's still not possible to play Slam Dragon on a modern PlayStation. <laughs> it is not available. Yeah. It's an this outrageous travesty. It's outrageous. Yeah. yeah. In terms of sort of, uh, you know, of official support for emulators, I think it's more likely that my dad is going to phone up and say, hey, just found a big bunch of uh, 1960s comics. <laughs> yeah. Do you know anything about them? <laughs> anyway, um, that's it for the news this week. Let's move on to supporter Q&A. This is the part of the show where uh, every week on the DF supporter program, we ask our supporters to um, offer up a bunch of questions. You've heard a bunch already. And uh, we choose the best or other the ones we're most equipped to answer, and we answer them. And we're going to start with this one from Abatukam Salamat. Hey, DF! Exclamation point. Speaking of Switch 2 and Microsoft ABK chicanery. <laughs> 
of that word. <laughs> Chicanery. Have you considered benchmarking recent Call of Duty games on devices like the A&EO, ROG, ROG, Ally, and slash or the Holy Steam Deck in order, <laughs> in order to gauge whether or not COD is quote unquote too big for the in brackets future Switch? I think it's not really a worthwhile comparison because um, we're talking about PC ports being forced to run yeah on low power hardware whereas the reality is they would be getting um very specific ports right yeah anything to add to that um no it's also I, different hardware entirely like amd yeah. versus nvidia it's, it's hard to translate that yeah this, this got me one piece of low-hanging fruit i neglected to grab when we did our special df direct with tom warren this week is the i think we mentioned it before actually is that perhaps the road forward would be classic Call of Duty games on Switch instead. Yeah. Like release the golden age of Call of Duty on there. Maybe have the Modern Warfare trilogy uh, or the Black Ops games uh, yep. come to Switch, right? I think people would absolutely right. love that and, you know, get those servers online again, get people playing uh, multiplayer. Heck, they could even do a thing where you've got, like, three modern warfare campaigns or the two uh, black ops campaigns in there and then some sort of like weird integrated version of the multiplayer kind of like the master chief collection where it's like all the different variants are possible all run from Man. the same servers like something like that would be cool absolutely that does sound well good. they did fix match matchmaking on the uh, xbox 360 versions they did, of the classic right? cod games and um there were some phenomenal uh, numbers that we saw of people returning to those games over a hundred thousand people i think on on one particular one which you, you know it, you know it's, it's just it's <laughs> nuts it's bananas they they also fixed shadow runs multiplayer on xbox 360 richard wow that I, I was flocking to that immediately i loaded it up on <laughs> windows vista played some shadow run Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I do agree with you, John, that there's actually a really good um, uh, case to putting the old Call of Duty games on on Switch, right? But um, that wasn't what Microsoft was promising in its legal docs. It was talking about the latest and uh, quote unquote fully featured yeah um, uh, Call of Duty games, which is something quite different. But they should do this, right? I agree. I think that would be very smart. Okay, let's move on to this question from Joel Osman. Hey, everyone, with the queue lights coming out, I feel like Sony is missing a trick by not having a wired connection using 120 hertz 1440p displays alongside the 60 hertz 1080p remote play option. It could use the same protocol as PlayStation VR 2 does. I often take my PS5 to hotel rooms and love playing in handheld, but remote play is often not up to the job yet. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Um... John, I uh, can't really see the use case for this one. It's, it's really. a bit niche, isn't it? You'd need a really long cable. <laughs> That's very niche, and I'm not sure it would be that interesting to most users. I mean, it would be a cool bonus feature, I guess. But yeah, beyond that, um that since that's not the focus of the device, I can't imagine they would want that because it would also draw. Uh, it would sort of reveal the limitations of using streaming, right? It's like, oh, this thing is much better when I plug it into the system, and now you're like, oh wait, it sucks with the in streaming mode. That's not that's not a good look. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but you're quite right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still really interested as to how they're going to pull this off because I mean, it can work. The Wii U 
gamepad obviously had very low resolution and um, uh, the bandwidth requirement would be a lot lower, but it, it worked. And that was, you know, um, you know, sort of 2011, 2012 technology. So, you know, you, I, I think you could get a good experience on this Q-Lite handheld, but I'm not sure whether, you know, routing it through the internet or routing it through your router <laughs> even uh, to, to that degree is going to help matters. So, you know, if they've got some new take on remote play that, that kind of works, then I'm all for it. But um yeah. The thing I'm, here, I'm though, Rich, I really feel they like missed out on calling it the Sea Light in honor of Sea Wizzy because when you look at the actual design of this thing, it kind of had it's got the the white dual sense parts of the controller on there. It kind of looks like the popped collar. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, like I thought he was all. I thought he was all about it being black, slick black, black. But still, black, you which know, is, which it's, it's not. <laughs> I feel mm. like I feel like this channels the spirit of Sea Wizzy. Fair enough. Uh, let's move on to the next question. This one from Hunter King. Uh, awesome name. Uh, last week's discussion of NVIDIA's absence from the console market had me wondering, could Intel break in? Alex, what do you think about this? I would actually love this because Intel's... I mean, after they had their... We are stuck on whatever... What was it, 10 nanometer? Or was it 14? I forget what they 14. were stuck on for... Yeah, yeah they, they were stuck on it for... and it failed. Yeah, and uh, after they were stuck on that, they've changed it up a bit. And when you look past their 12900K, 3900K, 11900K, whatever, you look past all those high-end chips and you start going lower, you actually see the efficiency is getting pretty awesome on the Intel side these days. Uh, I think partially in due to those e-cores uh, that they've been adding in. And in addition to the fact that now with Arc and upcoming Battle Mage, um, they actually have viable GPU cores there uh, with the hardware seems like the best part of it. And it seems like the the software side on uh, Intel's driver is the like the thing that is not as up to spec as the rest of their chips. And I feel like they could if they wanted to, they could make an awesome SOC combining those technologies and they wouldn't have the issues that we see on the PC side regarding drivers, because you would not be writing to necessarily a driver on a console, you'd be writing to something lower level maybe uh, in that case. And I actually think it would be awesome to see an Intel console at this point in time. I just don't know if they're even sh shopping around or headhunting, I don't know what they call it, but I don't even think they have any SOC though at this level at this point in time anyways. They have you know, they're integrated GPUs, but they aren't like the large GPUs like you'd see in the Series X, which is really big. Uh, mm. So I, I would love it, but I don't think it's happening. Mm, John, would you be interested in an uh, Intel-based console? Yeah, I mean, I think their their Arch GPUs in particular are quite capable and seem well-suited to like a console box. And many of their issues on the PC are down more to drivers than anything else, right? Like, it mm. feels like you could really unleash that well in a console space, in a closed box. Uh, I mean, we've seen Intel in the console space before with CPUs, obviously, on the original Xbox. So it's not impossible for them to get involved. But, yeah, I think that could be pretty good. I will say, though, you know, with Microsoft entering the console race, I'm still, I still lament the fact that we never got a Borland console. You remember <clears throat> Borland, right? The Borland Software Corporation? With like they did like Delphi and all that. With this? Like, just, like nothing means business like Borland. 
And I think like having the Borland box would have been pretty epic. From Intel. <laughs> With Intel powering it. Uh, well, um, <laughs> just to sort of <laughs> get back on topic. Yes. Um, yeah, I think there's a, a few issues standing in the way here. Um, Intel's um, efficiency with area in, in terms of silicon and is, the GPU. Is, is, yeah, it's not great compared to the competition at the moment. And they're still very, very early days on, on GPU design generally. You know, they've got a lot to, to do to catch up with AMD and NVIDIA. Um, so yeah, the, the actual cost of making that processor would be rather large. Um, so I don't really see it as being viable, and I don't think they could break in until they've actually got a mature console-style uh, GPU that they could actually offer, and I don't think they've got that at the moment. It would take several right. years, several generations. Um, what I do find quite interesting, though, is that, you know, for ages now, when you look at an Intel CPU, I think the, the CPU has been separate from the GPU. Um, and I think by the time we reach the next console generation, like 2028 or whatever, I think we're going to be in the chiplet era, right, where um, it just makes sense to make several smaller chips rather than one big monolithic chip. Right. So the concept that that. You know, we could return to the days of having separate CPU and GPU, but obviously more closely in connect, interconnected as they weren't in the past, um, which I think could be really fascinating and could actually deliver the generational leaps that we're not getting at the moment. Um, there are some rumors, actually, that AMD is is actually going for, you know, Ryzen CPU cluster on a chiplet with a separate chiplet that has um, a GPU. Um, wow. Yeah, big GPUs, which I'd be interested to see whether that actually happens and what the memory bandwidth implications would be. Intel, though, I'd love to see it, but I think we are some way off there. Let's move on to the next question. This one from Tired John, and his question starts. He says it's probably a question for John. Uh, I just I just picked up a Japanese Sega Saturn. What Japan-only games would you recommend for someone who doesn't read Japanese and is too lazy to learn it? Oh, man, that's actually uh, kind of a tough one then. If, no, there's actually there's a lot of good stuff on here, actually, that might be worth checking out. So let me go through some of it then. Uh, looking at what's in my collection here, I have my list up. So starting alphabetical... Assault Suit Suit Lanos 2 is a nice uh, Lanos game on, or an Assault Suits game on the Saturn that's worth checking out. I've always loved Astal, which uh, is was an early Saturn game, an absolute masterpiece in terms of visual design. It's this gorgeous 2D action game, sort of like brawling and platforming in one, but just huge sprites. It looks awesome. Uh, it's expensive, but Battle Garega, which is, of course, the classic... A vertical shooter uh, that got a nice Saturn conversion complete with Tate mode, which I definitely mm. think is worth checking out if you like those types of games. A uh, bubble symphony from Taito is great. It's a uh, the second bubble bubble bobble game, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, with beautiful 2D pixel art again. Uh, there's some cotton games on the Saturn, like Cotton Two, uh, which are again horizontal shooters, no Japanese required, look awesome. The Taito did a lot on there actually. You also got Darius, Darius 2, and Darius Gaiden, which are both absolutely phenomenal. Darius Gaiden, especially, is one of the best uh, horizontal shooters of that era, I think. 
Uh, and of course, Elevator Action Returns, which is another spicy meatball, but I think it's one of the best uh, <laughs> 2- 2D action games on the Saturn. And it did recently get sort of a, a modern re-release, but that version with those, the ones put out by that company, I'm forgetting the name, uh, they have pretty serious input lag problems, so it doesn't feel great. Oh. And playing this on Saturn, it's nearly basically arcade perfect. It's really, really, really good. Um, I also really like a lot of the Sega Ages stuff they did, like there's Galaxy Force 2, Fantasy Zone, Space Harrier, Outrun. They all got standalone releases on the Saturn, which are really, really nice. Uh, I would say Galaxy Force and Power Drift, they look arcade perfect, basically, but they only run at 30 FPS, disappointingly, but it's still better than prior conversions of those games, right? Whereas all the others are 60, including Outrun, which uh, up until that point, Outrun the arcade game was only a 30 FPS game. And the Saturn yeah. version adds a proper 60 FPS mode and an arranged soundtrack as well as an option. So that's cool. Uh, the original Gex is on Saturn, and the Japanese version has a delightfully hilarious cover. I do recommend checking that out. Uh, all the Konami Deluxe Pack games, like the Gradius Deluxe Pack, and they also had, I think, some of the other... So there's Gradius Deluxe Pack, there's Parodius, and then, of course, there's Twinbee. And I think there's multiple Proteus games. There's the Talking Proteus, and maybe I can't remember if Sexy Proteus came out on, on Saturn as well. But <laughs> what? <laughs> if you don't know Proteus, just... dude, it's it's the thing. I love it. It's great. Those are those are good. Uh, Hyper Duel and Blastwind from Technosoft. They're very expensive, I know, but they're very 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 good. They're they're super cool, especially Hyper Duel. I recommend checking them out. Also. K.O. Yugekitai Katsugekihen, which is a sequel to K.O. Yugekitai on the Sega CD, Mega CD, and it's a combination of just the, one of the most beautiful 2D platforms you've ever seen with horizontal shooting, and it's just absolutely awesome. Uh, Taito also released Layer Section on there, which has a proper Tate mode that's basically arcade perfect. There's Metal Black from Taito, which is one of my favorite horizontal shooters like ever. You must check that out. Capcom's all over the Saturn. You know, they got tons of fighting games on there. Uh, they got the Marvel and, and the X-Men. kind of Not Marvel versus Capcom, but some of the other ones, like X-Men versus Street Fighter on there. A nice Street Fighter collection. There's a, an amazing version of Street Fighter Zero Three on the Saturn. Oh, my. There's Mega Man games on there that are Rockman games, as they'd be known, that are good. Uh, both of the Panzer Dragoon games, the, the non-RPG, totally playable without knowing Japanese. Uh, Radiant Silvergun, of course, the Treasure Classic is on there. Sokyu Gorentai is on there, which is another vertical shooter that's kind of reminiscent of Silvergun in some ways. Uh, the the Data East games, Skullfang and Wolffang, Silhouette Mirage from Treasure. Uh, Titus Chase HQ games are on there. There's Thunder Force games on there. The the two gold packs plus Thunder Force Five. Uh, I'll I'll stop for now. But I could I could go on and on and on. There's just a ton of stuff on Saturn. And all of those games I listed there are completely playable without knowing any Japanese, I would say. But if you mm-hmm. get into Japanese, then boy, does the library open up even more. <laughs> so, Alex, your feed is is uh, particularly interesting. You're doing more pixel counts there. I, I was actually doing a pixel count. I'm sorry, Alex. <laughs> it's okay. Well, I, I mean, I, I don't know it. any of these games because I never owned a Sega Saturn, other than you mentioned a handful of them. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> fine. I know. I understand. 
Okay, let's let's move on. To, let's move on to the final question. Uh, this one from Modron. Uh, with Noclip releasing a ton of vintage game trailers and media in recent days, including hopefully soon the legendary E3 2006 covers, it got me wondering about <laughs> what else might be lurking in some random closet elsewhere deep in the Eurogamer and Digital Foundry offices. What classic trailer, gameplay demo, or other piece of gaming history would you like to see re-released in higher quality? Wow. I can't think of any Ooh. specific examples um, right now, but on a general level... Obviously, I've been in this game a long time, and um, uh, I think as journalists, we do need to have some kind of strategy for archiving um, various materials like this, because there's a ton of stuff from the 90s that I remember that we had, which are just lost mm -hmm. uh, completely now. You know, they're lit literally thrown in <sighs> skips. So, you know, Awful. the stuff that Noclip is doing is actually really, really awesome, right? Which is to say that, yeah, they have uh, seemingly archived a bunch of really interesting and rare stuff. And uh, I mean, typically, I mean, I have an archiving policy, but it's typically to archive all of the work that I do. Um, you know, gameplay capture, benchmarks, that kind of thing. Because right. um, generally I'm finding that the the cost of a hard drive, you know, like I've got an 18 terabyte hard drive that I'm filling at the moment. The cost of a hard drive is actually less than the cost of having to like recapture a specific game. That's a good point. Uh, so yeah, it, it's just like a, a better economy overall. Um, and it also means that games, um, you know, there's often variants of games that are just lost to time at this point, you know, uh, for example, um, we've got like footage in the archive of the original version of Ratchet and Clank on PlayStation 4 that didn't have their TAA solution. I mean, it's not exactly massively valuable from an archival point of view, but the fact is it's there if ever right. we need it. So, yeah, I mean, there's got to be some sort of um, uh, uh, strategy for this because, uh, John, we're actually finding that um, press materials from back in the day are actually extremely valuable for for df retro projects occasionally yeah big time that stuff's extremely valuable and useful digging that up to be able to show people in high quality is awesome i've managed mm -hmm. for some projects i've managed to get like isos of certain cds that were handed out nice press materials yeah. on it which is always useful um that stuff's cool uh, I did get a couple things from you that you had from back in the day, including the Tekken 4 arcade board that you guys... Yeah. Actually, I think you imported it back in the day for coverage. We bought it. We bought it for um, because it was basically the easiest way to get Tekken previews ahead of the PlayStation version being available, <laughs> knowing, knowing that there was a PlayStation arcade board out there running uh, Tekken. Which Tekken is it, by the way? It's Tekken 4. Tekken 4, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that was what we did. We just bought the arcade machine, uh, the board specifically, and we had like a jammer harness to plug it all into. And then, you know, we could capture it. I think it actually had a VGA output on it. Actually, that's, that's the oh, most wow. amazing thing is it does, it does have a direct VGA capture. Uh, yeah. If you set the board to 480p mode, which, you know, the PS2 game also supports, it just renders 640 by 480 output straight to yeah. your monitor. Wow. It looks really crisp. So you can plug a VGA monitor into it, which is cool. That's I, incredible. Yeah. I also got a, I, I won't say what it is, but I do have some discs from you from a certain high speed game that I still plan to yeah. cover on 
DF Retro someday that I don't think that stuff is out there really. No, it's not at all. And I also have some footage from another game related to that that was shown at E3 that I got direct high, like 60 FPS capture of, and I don't think that exists on YouTube either. So once that video happens, I should probably archive some of that stuff properly. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, but I just yeah. want to say that you know the no clip stuff that's happening is you know phenomenal. God, Dan- really Danny weird. is doing all of his work over there. It's just awesome. Like I, I'm so impressed with what no clip does itself, and then archiving all this stuff. He, he's a great uh, figure for this industry and doing amazing work. So oh yeah, I have he's a awesome. ton of respect for that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, anything to add to this, Alex? No, I mean I I wish there was a lot of E3 demos that existed. You know, you have games like the original sequel to Prey, which exists in some sort of strange eighty percent, ninety percent done oh. form, and it was demoed at E3 and then just just does, doesn't exist anymore as a result. Uh, so I always wish that unreleased, non you know press related things could always exist in some real form to play. Yeah, because the early period of the internet and specifically gaming coverage on the internet, you know, basically you do get these really crappy versions of assets that uh, were probably much higher quality at the source. Right. I mean, back in the day, thinking about it, we used to do cover-mounted DVDs on PlayStation magazines and we would get beta SP tapes from like the likes of Konami, um, which, you know, obviously a broadcast quality and um you know you got a pretty good transfer on dvd but as we moved into the internet age you would have got like a crappy 360p compression artifact ridden mess yeah so and you know there was that period i mean you know internet video quality these days on youtube isn't bad no it's great but it isn't you know it's obviously a an order of magnitude better than it was yeah uh in those days so yeah i mean maybe there should be some kind of um i don't know coming together of journalists to share that would be awesome um, all of this sort of library material because it's not as if there's any competitive advantage in having you know a great version of say you know the, the original metal gear solid 4 trailer you know if you've got it, share it. You can also out there. find some weird stuff in unexpected places. Like Audi has a bunch of laser discs that are game related and game music related. And some of them have stuff you wouldn't expect. Like one is an entire disc of Konami commercials for like Famicom games, but it's all in laser disc quality. So we actually using the retro tink five X, wow. we did a full like rips, if you will, of those laser discs to the highest possible quality to preserve some of that stuff. And, you know, I think that stuff's cool as well. And if you, Japan has a lot of, like, things where they would put out, like, gameplay footage on tapes or Laserdisc and just sell it. And it's kind of weird how that exists. But going back to that stuff, you can get some valuable footage that doesn't really exist elsewhere. Wow. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, interesting stuff. Um, but that's that, it. No, that's it's not, Rich. It's Isn't not it? the end. I have one more question. This comes from... <clears throat> from the famous DF4 uh, Discord member, Alan, <laughs> okay. hey, who Alan. says, Hi, DF team, and happy birthday, Digital Foundry. Uh, <clears throat> this would have happened, I guess, recently. Eight years old, the 17th of Ju- July 2005, he says, or 19 years old, depending on whether you count back to the original arcade incarnation circa January 2004, 
Richard, how do you feel about the success of DF after all these years? The entire gaming community waiting with bated breath for a DF video on the latest game, a video that could make or break a game. I don't think that happens. A no-nonsense no. <laughs> look at the fundamentals of a game in great depth and detail. No bias, no missing words, shooting from the hip. Uh, where does Richard and the DF team think we will be in eight years' time? Where Will there be consoles like PlayStation 6, the next Xbox, uh, Switch 3, maybe an Apple handheld, and in 20 years, will everyone just be gaming on a headset or glasses device? What do you think? I don't know where wow. to start. That's quite a question. <laughs> yeah, where was it posted? On the Discord, right? He sent it to me, yeah, and I asked if I could ask this on the show. Ah, okay. Uh, well, obviously, I'm really proud of everything that we've built, right? Because uh, it's been a long haul, and uh, the early days uh, of the video venture were pretty shaky for all concerned because we didn't really know what we were doing <laughs> mm -hmm. um and obviously um before that there'd been like several years well many years i mean if we started the euro gamer articles back in 2007 and then video in, in 2015 i think we built up like a level of <clears throat> expectation that moving from one media to the other would actually be relatively straightforward but it turned out to be completely different and a totally different challenge and uh, possibly the hardest thing I've done in my life. I remember uh, that a transition to video in 2015 because I did my first one like right before I moved, basically. But I seem to recall when we first did that, there was you actually had another guy that you hired on. Uh, yeah, because like the idea was to, you know, if we looked at what Gamer Network had actually achieved uh, successfully in video, it was essentially outside Xbox, right? Right. And um, what do we do that can actually sort of um, tap into their formula for success? And, uh, the you know, the idea was to bring in a, uh, a presenter who knew his stuff, but, you know, um, possibly could bridge the gap between the niche and the mainstream. And, um, yeah, I mean... Um, he lasted for like two weeks and yeah, he never he, showed up he, on he the channel. No, that's right, because we basically realized once the set, the office was set up that we just weren't prepared to do video and it was oh going to take a long time to get there. And, um, you know, the office was set up in, I think, sort of, um august 2015 time and we didn't really do on-camera stuff until the following year we just weren't really ready just voice acting yeah or voice um yeah i do remember tom horrified when i just said look tom every video that we need to put out needs to have a, a voiceover on it and oh um, god yeah which you know just basic things which we take for granted for now that had to happen um we just weren't prepared for i was excited for that, that though i'd been doing that stuff beforehand on my own yeah sure and mm -hmm. it was just like oh yes finally my time to shine it was fun yeah it's um but yeah it's it's, it's great to see that the you know the profile overall but more to the point the range of um you know voices and opinion we've got has increased with you know adding um alex and uh and oliver you know across the years oh yeah it's definitely sort of you know been great to see that sort of evolution mm -hmm. the question is where do you go next you know that's that's the big thing for me um but uh for the that for the in the here and now as i say it's uh it's, it's been fantastic what do you think about this uh, i personally think that where we go next is we we go into vr space really <laughs> <laughs> all of our videos are going to be filmed i saw i saw a theory today that apple's um ar headset is its first attempt to actually bring about the end of the smartphone 
where oh, no. you know headsets are going to get smaller and smaller and rather than staring at screens all day we're going to be wearing glasses with you know ar built in and stuff like that i don't know about that but, um, <laughs> yeah. i'm not sold <laughs> yeah um anything else you want to add on that one that's quite a long question i don't have it in front of me so i can't look at the specific points no i'm just um that's cool i think we all appreciate everything here it's it's been an interesting ride doing this for 10 years now uh mm. it's changed a lot oh yeah you know the original goal was literally i mean when when the whole thing started it was just like raw data like in these small little paragraphs on Eurogamer but then it yeah. kind of expanded a lot out and making videos with only on raw data isn't exactly rewarding so like turning this into more like uh you know, a presentational thing is is engaging and enjoyable still today. Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it had to happen basically because, um, uh, yeah, we were getting reasonable views on some content, which was the reason why we decided to do the video venture. But then we figured out that, you know, just the audience engagement wasn't there, you know, that just skipped through the video. Yeah, exactly. There was, no, there, was, there was no narrative, there was no context, there was no nuance unless you went and looked at the Eurogamer article. And um, obviously that, that wouldn't work. We had an inkling that it wouldn't work, which is why we were going to try a slightly different approach on video. But ultimately, we just had, you know, through, through sheer force of will and trial of, and error to actually figure out what was going to work. And um, yeah, but, you know, even so, even today, you know, we're still not, you know, um, even though we've got like 1.3 million subscribers, Mm -hmm. we're still in our niche you know it's never going to be a 15 million channel no, like no Linus Tech Tips or whatever but you know we're making it work and we're happy with it I guess unless so. we can mm. find ways to integrate uh, this week's sponsor such as Slam Dragon <laughs> from Jellico you can buy the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's where Linus shines nobody can introduce a sponsored piece of gear like Linus mm. absolutely mm. absolutely uh, but that is it this time, I think, unless you've got another question in there. No, no, that's it. That's okay. it. That's that's all. <laughs> Alan just wanted to get that in. And if you know Alan, hey, Alan, he is persistent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it is it is interesting that there are various birthdays for Digital Foundry because he did wish me happy birthday on the Discord earlier in the week. It was like, huh? my uh, birthday's in December. What's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> and it turned out to be uh, he, he unearthed uh, a reply I gave him in the channel like many, many months ago where it was like, well, when did Digital Foundry actually happen? Mm. And uh, we were able to isolate a date. And that's that was the date this week. But anyway, that is indeed the end of the show. So if you did indeed enjoy it, please do like, subscribe, share, ring the bell for those notionally instant notifications. I'm slightly disappointed. I'm not getting any more notifications from Random Gaming in HD. Ah. Getting, I'm getting I may awful. have to ring, ring the bell to see whether that actually happens. I am still getting uh, notifications from my own channel, though. Mm. Uh, Excellent. Yeah, which is just what I wanted. Um, yeah, DF Supports Program, join us. Uh, behind the scenes material, lots going on there. Um, early access, amazing stuff. Just join us there. It's, it's pretty good stuff. I'm very proud of it. But that's all from us for this week. Thanks for watching. <laughs>